Co-Selling Hero, hosted by real estate veteran Tom Didion. Each week, we break down today's ultra-hot home seller's market and give you the tips, tricks, and guidance to navigate the selling process and get the most out of selling your home. Proudly presented by the Tom Didion team. Let's jump in. Greetings and moyen, everybody. Thanks for coming back to the Home Selling Hero podcast. I am your host, Tom Didier. And that kid you see in the screen is my kid. My guest today is Owen Didier. He is my one and only son. He is our fourth generation. So a little family background. Um, my grandpa started this business in the 1960s. My dad came to work with him in the 1970s. I got here in the 90s. And here we are, 2022. Owen has been licensed for, I think we just talked about this, five years now, correct? Yeah, I think five years, yeah. So Owen's our fourth generation realtor. Did you know you were going to do this, or when did you know you were going to do this? I definitely did not think I was going to do this at all. Um, I would say it was probably not until senior year of high school that I even considered it, but when we were always younger, my friends would always say, oh, you're you're really good at you know ordering the pizza and being good on the phone. And that was one thing that kind of led me to think, oh, maybe I am good at talking to people. So, yeah, I remember in high school kind of thinking, oh, you know what, I think I'm going to try it out. My initial plan was to go to school for four years and then take that path of real estate after the fact. But I did one year of school. I did one semester at uh, Whitewater and one semester at Milwaukee. And then from there, I got my license right after my second semester, my first year, and then was actually enrolled to do a part-time school, part-time work thing. And then after, you know, getting into it for the first month, I realized, you know what, I just want to focus on this. So it's pretty much all that I know now. Do you remember where, do you remember, do you remember where we went to lunch when you told me you passed mm-hmm. your real estate license? No, I don't. I remember it was in Bayshore Mall somewhere. Yeah. I was going to say, I remember the, the rest, the place. I don't remember yeah. the name. I don't think it's there anymore. But yeah. um, So five years into this business, uh, talk to me a little bit about what are your biggest surprises? What are your what are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? What are your what have you been totally surprised about? And and uh, what have you liked the most? I guess. I think what I've I guess starting off by what I've liked the most is that how easy it can be to network. Just simply going out and going out with friends and you know I, I play softball I'm in a softball league volleyball league um, I sponsor the teams and just simple things like that can bring in business um, just going out there and meeting people and being nice to people you know if you're nice all it takes is for one 10 to 15 minute conversation it could be a one minute conversation meeting a mutual friend and that could follow up with you know having a client a month later I've had I just had somebody yeah. call me that I talked to probably a year ago and I met them once and if as long as you're you know you can be nice to people and as long as you can share a mutual connection in some sort of way um, that can generate business so that's definitely been one of those things that surprised that's me that's what you like yeah, the most yeah, that's what i yep. that's yep. what i like the most what do you dislike the mm, most dislike the most i think well what any realtor would probably agree with is that uh, you don't get a paycheck every two weeks <laughs> right um, yeah, it, uh, there is no stability yeah. and there is no guarantees. And it teaches you over time to save your money yeah. for sure yeah. um, because there's just no, yeah, there's no uh, solidarity to it at all. It's just, it's not, it's not routine. But I've always said, right, this, this job is not really a job. It's more of a lifestyle. Your job is to get out there and meet yeah. people and, and be good to people and, and help them and especially 
I remember being your age and those first, yeah, sure, five years into it. First five years was tough to earn the trust of people because you're just so young. And people are looking at you thinking, all right, you're 24 years old. I've got a half million dollar house here. Am I really going to trust this 24-year-old, you know, with the biggest financial asset I have? It can be tough. But over time, you stick with it and things start rolling. So you've told me what you like the most and what you dislike the most. What do you think you're good at? What's your strength? Uh, I would say my strength is probably to, I mean, at the end of the day, and I'll actually fast forward or rewind a little bit. Um, I think one thing that surprised me as well, and that this will kind of go along with what I would, what I thought I was going to dislike is um, people will, usually when you're young, people, if you can show that you're super motivated, that helps a lot too. I think when you're a young realtor and they know that, you know, you're busting your ass to get here and busting your ass to get this deal, a lot of times you can earn trust that way. But at the same time, going back to that, yes, when you do have the situations where somebody looks at you and says, oh man, you're only, you've only been in the business for five years. I think I'd rather go with somebody who's 45 years old that's been in the business for 20 years. So that's, and it can be discouraging, but at the end of the day, it's going to happen. I, I, the first couple of times that that happened, it was just so, it was so depressing, but now when it happens, if it'll, it kind of makes me stronger and it makes me more motivated to get that next deal. So you definitely learn from every time. All of us, it's the same story for all of us. None of us, me and my brothers, none of us really plan to go into real estate, but when somebody sets the stage before you, you realize how lucky you are and how good you are at it. And yeah, you're just kind of blessed to fall into it and have some, have some advantages. So Owen and I are going to talk today about flipping, and this is a result of, I'm actually starting to get some feedback, which I love from the listeners. I'm getting some some texts and emails and even some personal conversations uh, with suggestions on what to talk about, and more than once I've been asked to talk about flipping houses. So I said, all right, Owen and I will talk about flipping houses. Owen and I have been flipping houses together. I would call it our side gig. It's certainly not our full-time thing, but my dad always told me in real estate too to always be diversified and have a few things going so that if traditional sales go down you have something else to fall back on so we've done six of them in about five years and we have we try and always have one going on ironically we don't have one right now and that is because deals are hard to find so we're going to talk about our experience as flippers and it helps really well because we deal with buyers and sellers that are doing the same thing so when we're Working with a buyer that wants to flip a house or work with a seller that just flipped a house, we can actually relate to them and offer them some suggestions. And I'm going to start off with some questions for you, Owen. What is, what's the biggest challenge to flipping a house in this market? I would definitely say putting together a budget. I think you always want yeah. to think far ahead and think of, you know, worst case scenario. What are we going to have into it? What can we sell it for? And there's always going to be those hiccups and those things that you don't, you know, suspect when yeah. you're a month into it. Sometimes it's right off the bat. Sometimes it's when you're six months into it, getting ready to list and you have an issue that happens. So I would say the toughest part is, you know, finalizing a budget and putting, you know, numbers together at the end of the day. Yeah. that's been, that's been your job. Yeah. You know, no one knows I'm not a spreadsheet guy. I'm, my talent is hopefully to find the deals and analyze analyze the deal both before and after Owen's spreadsheet. And I, th- I think it's important to point out that you can lose your butt in this, and that's probably important. I'll tell a quick story about the house that Andrew and I flipped, and that was a house in River Hills that we just got in too deep. There was a foundation problem we didn't see coming. That was a big one. There was some structural stuff in the roof, and 
six months into it, we knew we were kind of in trouble. Like, we're not going to get our money back. Uh, it worked out great that Andrew actually wanted to live there. He was starting a young family, and it worked out awesome. But I think it made us better at what we do. you got to fail sometimes before you get better at what you do. And I had another one here on Dodge where I didn't make any money. Luckily, I didn't lose my butt. But you have to lose every once in a while to kind of know how to make money, in my opinion. So the six we've done, we do five or six. I'm losing six. track here. One, yeah. two, three, four, five. Yeah, we've done six of them. Pretty much Milwaukee County, Ozaki County, and Sheboygan County, which is kind of our, our niche down here is southeastern Wisconsin. I would say the biggest challenge right now is just finding a deal. There's just no deals. There's no, there's no, there's no inventory of anything, and certainly even the inventory of the um, fixer-uppers is as low as it's ever been. There's just no opportunities out there. So if you are a flipper, and I'm sure you know this, is if you if we do get an opportunity, a new listing that comes on the MLS that really looks like a prime opportunity, there's like, what, 20, 40 people jumping in at yeah, the same that's time? The, I mean, the mo- I get that so, question all the time is, oh, I want to find a flip. I want to find a fixer-upper. And when you're dealing in a smaller market, you kind of have to remind them, well, there's also 50 other people that want to do exactly what you want to do. It's the biggest challenge is, is finding an opportunity. Um, you're going to be competing with other people. Obviously, in this market, cash is king. So if you're trying to buy a house and it's contingent on um, getting a bank loan, it's going to be really, really tough to get that house. Um, Cash is king in the flipping business. What a lot of flippers do is they acquire these homes with cash, and then they have a good relationship with their bank, and then they use either a line of credit or an actual loan on the property to draw from. Uh, depending on how much money you're putting in, if it's a smaller amount, if they're putting in five or ten grand, it's probably just a cash job. They'll put their own money, but. If you're doing 50, 100 grand into a house, I found that most flippers in our area go to the bank and, and borrow that money, which leads you to another key here, which is time is money, right? Yeah. I mean, you can't buy a flip house and just sit there. We've, you know, we've had a few, we've run into a few issues where the house just sits there because you're in between contractors and, uh, you know, next contractor can't do anything until the electrician gets in there and the electrician's, you know, whatever, he's on other jobs or he's deer hunting or whatever so it can be a challenge trying to organize everything yeah i remember because flippers are basically general contractors that's basically what you become i remember what you telling me you know when you put the numbers together and you start calculating you know based on the interest rates or the rate that you're going to be paying on that money that you're borrowing you say all right it's going to be costing us 35 bucks a day to have this house right now and then you when you put that in perspective then another two weeks go by and you know the numbers start looking worse and worse sometimes but yeah exactly time is money for sure and keep in mind, you got to have insurance. So you got, yeah, time is money. You got your interest. You got your homeowner's insurance. That's a daily charge. You got your real estate taxes. That's a daily charge. There's a lot of things, um, even even utilities. And keep in mind, too, the insurance on a vacant house, in my experience, tends to be a little bit higher than it is for an occupied house. Insurance companies generally would prefer to insure an occupied home uh, where somebody's living as opposed to just a vacant house. Um, they can be kind of targets. A house that's abandoned or being flipped and renovated and and vacant those tend to be targets and uh, so you might want to expect a slight increase in a premium based on that so that's something to consider also Um, let's jump into a term that i wanted to educate our listeners about which is wholesalers what is wholesaling and who are wholesalers and what do they do? Well, there are a lot of wholesalers out there. And basically yep, what wholesalers great. are trying to do is that they're trying to buy your house for a discounted price. But at the end of the day, they're not going to be the ones that are going to end up buying it. They want to sign that contract to somebody else. So, for example, they will send you a postcard in the mail or some knock on their on your door. Some give you a phone call, whatever. And they'll say, all right, you know, I have cash. 
and I want to buy your house for $100,000. And in their contract, though, it'll say that they're able to assign their deal to somebody else. So in sometimes they're doing it for five grand. Sometimes they're making as much as 50 grand. So they could be assigning that same house to somebody at the end of closing for 110,000, 150,000, maybe even more. So those wholesalers are pretty much trying to, they're using their cash that they have in hand as leverage and they're able to say, okay, I'm going to assign this to somebody else. And then at the end of the day, that's how they make their money and they go on to the next one. The space for wholesalers, they're, they're everywhere. In the old days, in my professional opinion, the first guys that were out doing this are the, the home investors people. That's a franchise. They are the billboards that say we buy ugly houses. And I don't know how long they've been around. I, I bet you they've been around uh, longer than we think, probably 20 yeah. years. Um, but they were the first guys that just say we're going to have cash and we're going to buy the ugly houses that nobody else wants. And once they acquire it, they do all sorts of things. Sometimes they wholesale it and just assign a contract. Sometimes they renovate it. Sometimes they just relist it. But the number of people that are out there looking to buy these cash deals is it's 10 times what it used to be. So when you're getting those unsolicited text messages and postcards in the mail, um, not to burst your bubble here, home sellers, but you're not special. Everybody's getting them. We all get a ton of those every week. And those are the people that are just looking to find that one seller that's somewhat desperate and in need of cash. And they do, they have a place in our industry because these guys do come to the closing table and they can close in seven or 14 days and they don't do inspections. They just do their own, their own visual inspection um, and they can close quickly. So I've seen them be a really good option for people that have medical bills or a vacant house. Um, A lot of times it's, a lot of times it's medical. It's when mom or dad or grandma or grandpa are in a home and have a lot of bills to pay and we need to, you know, cash cash in on this equity very, very quickly. But I will say this, if you are one of those people that needs cash and wants to sell a house quickly, reach out to Owen or myself. We can find you the right people for that. It might actually be us. Not always, but um, we can definitely put you in touch with people that are local, uh, that understand our market, that do have access to cash that can close quickly. So there are a ton of them out there and and there's, there's limited opportunities for sure you say is the most important trait to have as a flipper when you're flipping a house what's the most important strength you have uh, I would definitely say knowing contractors and knowing a good amount of contractors that's a really important thing um, getting a, a a multiple amount of quotes because at the end of the day you know there's always going to be one that can probably um, end up beating that quote but at the same time you have to put into perspective that you know, sometimes going local and going with, you know, somebody that you can trust might be the better option at the end of the day. So that's definitely yeah. you know, one really important thing. I don't know. The old the old adage of you get what you pay for is very much many times mostly applicable to flipping. Yeah. Not always. Mm-hmm. We've seen some contractors try and take advantage of, of uh, homeowners with high prices. But, yeah, that's the key is, like, establishing a relationship with these contractors. And you need – what? You need two or three of everybody. Yeah. You need two electricians, two drywall, And you're always going to have that rubbers, one guy that you're always going to use. Yeah. You know, you might have a one yeah. plumber that you that you are always going to use, right. and you might always have the one guy. But at the end of the day, that person might not be available. So you should always have, you know, right. worst case scenario, I need to call this guy. So it's definitely yeah. very important. Um, yeah, we've got a bunch of people, and I, I think we've done a good job of establishing relationships over the years with, with certain contractors and yeah, you figure out who you can trust, and um, every once in a while we try somebody new, and we get a 
we get a big win, we're like, holy cow, this guy did great. You just found a, a countertop yeah, person yeah. for a recent project that you were. Yeah, I was pretty blown away by it. And I thought it was a yeah. joke. I thought it was. I thought it would be at least double yeah. that. So that's a really good. Uh, yeah, if, if everybody needs a countertop uh, contact, give Owen a call. He's got a really good one right now. Um, all right, something else to keep in mind when flipping houses: if you are the buyer of a house, I was actually just talking to Glenn about this this morning at uh, at the bank. A lot of people don't realize that if a house has been flipped and the title has changed hands more than twice within, it's usually within six months, FHA generally probably is not going to qualify that property. So FHA has a lot of different guidelines, and the federal government doesn't like it when the title to a house changes many times. They look at it as risky, and why is, you know, why is this house changed title? It sold for 10000 that sold for 40000 then 80000 and now somebody else is selling it for 150,000 and it's only been 6 months and that's that's not uncommon in the flipping world especially with the wholesalers depending if they take title so going back to the wholesaler thing Owen talked about how the wholesalers will assign a contract in the state of Wisconsin and this isn't legal advice this is just what my lawyer told me is that every contract in Wisconsin is assignable unless it specifically says it's not so same thing with real estate contracts. You get an accepted offer on a property for $100,000. For the most part, you can take that offer and assign it to somebody else. So if the next guy wants to give you 110 for it, just assign it to the next buyer for 110 And at the closing, that wholesaler never actually takes title to the property at all. He just gets his $10,000, you know, uptick. And it works. It's a slick, it's a slick investment deal if you can get into that. Um, but it's important to keep that in mind as a buyer is that FHA, a lot of times, I've seen FHA deals get turned down because, not because of the, the borrower, but because the house has changed title um, too many times. They have different set of guidelines completely, so keep that in mind. Another thing that I think is important for the public to know is that most of the flippers and wholesalers out there, they're not necessarily members of the Realtors Association and the, the deals that they try to bring to market are what's called off-market deals. You're not going to find them on Zillow. You're not going to find them in the MLS. You're not going to find them on really any social media sites except for the ones that those wholesalers have their own platforms. But that's what's really popular in this market right now is that because there's no inventory, when a wholesaler comes out with an off-market deal, it generally piques the interest of buyers and brokers and everybody like, oh, my gosh, there's actually a deal out there. Um, so a lot of these things, a lot of these off-market deals are specifically called off-market just to get the attention of the buyer and make the buyer think, oh, I can't get this anywhere else. It's, it's off-market. I better act, um, better act now before somebody else does. And I've seen, I've seen a lot of competitive nature in the last five years with off-market deals. 20 years ago, I, there weren't a lot of off-market deals. Everything was listed. So that's changed quite a bit. And I think that's just a result of the low inventory. Have a house to sell, but not sure who to trust when it comes to getting the best deal and leveraging the current market? Trust the experts at the Tom Didier team. With over a quarter century of selling Milwaukee, Tom and his team of real estate experts are here to ensure that you get every penny you deserve out of selling your home. No matter where you live in the dairy state, Put one of Wisconsin's top real estate teams to work for you in selling your home and making the most of your real estate investment. Looking to buy a house instead? Tom and his team have you covered here as well, helping you craft and perfect the offer on your dream home. 
Visit SellingMilwaukee.com to find out how much your home could be worth and connect with the team to make your next real estate transaction a dream. Now, back to the show. All right, so Owen, when a, when a buyer comes to you, and you mentioned this early in the podcast, when a, especially a young buyer because you're a young realtor and most of your clients are young people, and a young person comes to you and they say, you know, find me a flip house, Owen, how do you find them a flip house if there's none available? Uh, the biggest thing is just uh, either knocking on doors, uh, calling people, or you, you can find places that are off market. So I've had it a couple times where um, I've reached out to a couple people, neighbors, um, or just general neighborhoods that I've noticed that meet the criteria of whatever this prospective buyer is looking for. So yeah, sometimes it doesn't always mean that, you know, we're going to be updating you on the MLS. Sometimes it'll mean knocking on doors, asking and say, Hey, you know, I do have a prospective buyer who is looking at something similar to your house. Would you have any interest in selling? And like I said, a lot of times people always say, you know, it takes 20 no's to get a yes. And that's definitely true when it comes to this aspect in real estate. Yeah, it takes a little bit more effort, certainly, to find an off-market deal, but they are out there. Another tip that I think is super important to know, and this is coming from experience, is if you are flipping your own house, and depending on your skill level, there are things you can and you can't do as the owner, but there are things you need to pull permits for. It's been my experience that it makes a lot of sense to go to the building inspector before you flip a house and have a really good understanding of what you do and you do not need permits for. Um, we've closed deals where homeowners have decided to do things on their own without pulling the right permits, and it's come back to bite the people in the butt. And those can be triple fines. And when they do finally get inspected, um, if your electrical and your plumbing is not code and there are some safety issues there, it's it's not going to be worth trying to save, you know, save the time and cost of a permit or a professional. So really look into, before you put your plan together, by all means, meet with the building inspector and find out what you can or can't do. Have we had any issues with that? that you yeah, can well, I remember we, that one on Garfield. Um, there wasn't a lot of electrical things to get done to the place. Um, I had replaced a few outlets. I think it was like in the in the kitchen or something, and that was when you know we had posted it, and it was not a few hours later. We got a you had a, got a call from the municipality, yeah, yeah. and they said, "Hey, uh, we see this new house and." Yeah, and they said, uh, we can see on the MLS there's pictures of, you know, a kitchen that looks like there's some new outlets and we're going over our files and I don't think you pulled a permit for that. And and actually, in some municipalities, and I think it might even be some places in Ozaki, they require a electrical permit to do something as simple as change a light bulb. There's some places that you can get away with doing a lot of that stuff, but some places are very, very strict, and that's why it's always important. And we've kind of learned from being in different municipalities in these flips that the best-case scenario um, is just to ask because at the end of the day, you know, it'll uh, otherwise it's going to come back and bite you in the butt. So, Yeah, we've learned from experience that although the rules, the, the codes should be somewhat, there should be some conformity throughout the state, and for the most part it is, but we have found that different municipalities just treat things a little bit differently. So like Owen said, ask the right questions, go get the permits, find out what you do and don't need and go from there. But super important that you have those permits because if a buyer inquires without you knowing, the building inspector is going to come knocking on your door saying, hey, we've got an inquiry from a person that wants to live here in this city and uh, we pulled the file on this house and we don't have anything on it. So it's... uh, 
there's got to be some transparency there and it's it's for, for even if it's something as simple as you're doing only cosmetic work just go and get a homeowner's permit so you can stick that in the window and show that you know i went to the city and i got the paperwork to do you know what i need to do here even if like i said if it's something as little as paint and ripping out carpets and putting in lvp flooring it's it's best just to ask first so who are you working with right now who are your clients are you working with mostly buyers or mostly sellers as a as a young realtor um i would say it's definitely more buyers i think you know i'm 24 now so i'm at the age where a lot of my friends or people are know are just out of their you know there's two years out of college so now they're a couple of years into a job, they're starting to save up a little bit of money. Um, so yeah, now it's the age where I get a lot of people my age who are you know looking for their first home, and definitely a mix. But if I ha- I would say it's seventy five percent buyers right now. Spot on what I did for the first five years as well. Until those people, you know, your friends that you're selling houses to right now, those people become sellers. You know, keep in mind they only stay in their house three to five years. Um, so hopefully they'll come come calling in a little bit. All right, so you're one of the youngest realtors I'm guessing in our area uh, talk to me about social media at least how it social media and if it is or isn't important in your world because you know as the old guy here it annoys the hell out of me and I don't want to learn any more social media platforms and you know I like I like Facebook it's fine for both mm-hmm. business and and fun but uh, there's just too many in my opinion but tell me about what what's effective I'm assuming your age group Watches all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's super important. Those platforms. Yep, yep. That's why, you know, I usually when I'm getting deals done or even when I'm, you know, announcing something about um, lenders or anything like that, I always, you know, try to get it out there. Everybody my age, I don't, I could probably count on one hand of people that I know that are my age that really don't use social media. Um, so, yeah, at the mm-hmm. end of the day, I mean, we're my generation. We are on our phones all the time and I'm on my phone all the time. And I know I get backlash from some agents well you know just friendly backlash from in-house agents because i mean i'm using my phone to send out offers to send out emails because i that's what i grew up on is with the touchscreen five inches away from my face that's what i grew up on and i'm i think i'm faster than that than on a laptop to be honest but yeah and as far as marketing goes um facebook and Instagram, those are probably the biggest two. Even Snapchat, I sometimes try to mm. put stuff in my Snapchat story about you know new deals or looking for buyers or sellers or anything. So, yeah, I definitely and it's made. Like I said, you're gonna get you can post it stuff something on in social media for six to seven months, and it may take that long to get one prospective buyer, yeah. one prospective seller. But at the end of the day, if it only takes you three minutes to write a post and you know once a week, and it ends up becoming a deal six months down the road it's completely mm-hmm. worth it in my eyes yeah yeah i remember you wrote an offer in the phone uh, on your phone while we were traveling somewhere i think you drafted the entire offer and sent it out for signatures and presented it from the car seat i don't remember what deal it was but all right so when it's come when it comes to flipping a house if a flipper buys a house for 100 grand and he puts 20 grand into it what's the house going to be worth it could be different this is a question every. I, yeah, it, yeah. it could be different every single time. Sometimes it could be worth a hundred and eighty thousand, and sometimes after it could be worth a hundred and twenty thousand. Yeah. It could be worth one hundred twenty. It could be worth one hundred ten if you didn't have a good deal in the beginning. That's the the point I'm trying to make. Is that you know what a person pays for a house and what they have invested in a house when it comes to flips is. I don't want to say it's meaningless. The buyers tend to ask a lot. Well, I saw what you paid for it and how much you put into it. And 
you know, but at the end of the day, it's a different product. It's a different time. It's a different house altogether. So, you know, what a flipper puts into a house really shouldn't be considered, in my opinion, if you're a buyer making an offer on that. So if a, if a flipper bought a house for 100 and he put 50 into it and he's asking 199 you know, you're probably going to be tempted to offer him 160 or something. But if the comps are there and all of the homes in that neighborhood are selling for 199 you you're probably going to have to pay him 199 for that. So I think a lot of, I've seen a lot of buyers get caught up in adding up numbers and then try and figure out a price. And we've always said market value has nothing to do with the last purchase price, has nothing to do with the assessed value. It has nothing to do with your estimate. Market value is what are the comparable properties selling for? How much is it worth right now? All right, folks. Well, that's all we have today for house flipping. I hope you learned something. If you have any questions, give either Owen or I a call about this. My cell phone is 414-881-3290. Owen has a similar phone number. Owen is at 414-881-3293. Reach out to us. Uh, Happy to answer your questions. Happy to help you sell that flip. Happy to help you find a flip. Happy to just give you some contacts for some of our contractors if that's what you need help with. Uh, Anything to add, Owen? No, I think we've covered it all. Was this your first podcast? This was my first podcast. Signing off, everyone. And remember to always use a local lender. See you next time. Thanks for listening to Home Selling Hero. For more, subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform and connect with Tom across LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter. If you have a question about selling your home or buying your next one, reach out to Tom at tom at tomdidier.com or call or text him directly at 414-881-3290. Home Selling Hero is a production of Tom Didier Real Estate in partnership with Westport Studios. This podcast is for informational purposes only, and any information presented during the course of discussion is presented as reliable under the laws of the state of Wisconsin. Be sure to consult a local agent in order for any nuances where you may live.